Thanks so much, Kathy. Ah, welcome. I hope that we are still all going well with technology. Um, welcome this morning to those of you who are joining us online, apart from the five of us here in the room, um, or later via YouTube or a podcast. It is good to have you with us. Um, last week, we concluded our series in Deuteronomy, looking at Moses' words to Israel, um, to the Israelite people before they crossed into Palestine. What we began to see, um, even then, is that though Moses had set forth this ideal godly community through the law, he knew that the people would fall short. And we know from looking at the rest of the Old Testament that they fell a long way short. Instead of being a light to the nations around them, they chose instead to mirror the nations around them. And as a result, their nation did not last. First, the nation was split in two, um, the northern tribes that became known as Israel and the southern tribes that were known as Judah. And first Israel and then Judah were overthrown and the people became subject to Assyria and to Babylon and to fluctuating powers in the ancient Near East. Remember that Moses um, said to the people, when you fall short and you end up in exile, return to God and follow his ways with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and he will gather you back. So throughout this period, God sent prophets, he sent messengers to call the people back to God's ways and to give them a hope um, for future restoration. And Isaiah was one of these prophets. And this passage that Kathy um, read out for us is from Isaiah's words to the people, and it describes a time where there will be this inexplicable harmony, when wolves and lambs, natural enemies, will lie down together, when children will um, freely put their hands near cobras without fear. It describes a time when there will be no gaps between people or between people and creation or between people and God. And a little child will lead them. This will be the one from the stump of Jesse, from the line of David. This one will restore the people to God. Isaiah lived in the um, 8th and 7th centuries before Jesus came into the world. So another 300 years of prophets from Isaiah speaking these words, another 300 years of um, prophets speaking into the increasingly scattered people of Israel. And then there was this silence from God for about 400 years. All the things that we um, shared this morning or maybe that you didn't share but you thought about that you were hoping for, how many of them do you think you'd still be hoping for and still expecting to see 700 years later? I don't know about you, but lockdown this year, <laughs> it wasn't quite 700 years, but it felt like it at times, didn't it? Would we give up in that space? Would we wait well? What we're going to spend um, most of our time this morning reflecting on is a couple of people who trusted these words spoken by the prophets so many years before, and they had this um, deep relationship with God, and they waited well. They were there at the very beginning of Jesus' life. They kind of got who he was and what he would do, even before he'd spoken a word. This story is in um, Luke chapter 2, starting from verse 21. So if you've got a Bible with you and you want to um, have a look, look up, look it up. That's where it is. If you aren't sure where the book of Luke is, um, look it up in the table of contents. That is what it is there for. Um, the verses will also come up on the screen for us, hopefully, with the miracle of technology. 
Um, so Luke 2, 21 to 33 goes a bit like this. Eight days later, when the baby, Jesus, was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name given to him by the angel, even before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And they went to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations a light of revelation for the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts would be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So Mary and Joseph um, take Jesus up to the temple while he's still very small. And when they arrive at the temple, they encounter this older guy called Simeon. And what we learn about Simeon is that he's a man who is known to be righteous and devout. This is a guy who followed the law. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. This is a reference to those passages of scripture um, like Kathy read for us or that we find in kind of Isaiah 40 where prophets spoke of the hope and the comfort for Israel following this period of exile and being ruled by other nations. The hope of consolation was about the restoration of relationship between God and the people of Israel. So Simeon is waiting. And then he gets this sense that maybe he should go to the temple that morning. So he goes. And when he sees Mary and Joseph bringing little Jesus forward, Simeon recognises that this is that moment. This is the one he's been waiting for. So he takes this little boy in his arms and he speaks these words. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for for revelation to the Gentiles and glory for your people Israel. Simeon says, God, I'm ready for you to call me home. You promised me I'd see the Messiah in my lifetime. Now I've seen him. He will be a light of revelation to the Gentiles and glory for your people Israel, and I'm good. Simeon um, is making a reference here to the promises that we find in Isaiah 42, 6 and 7. Um, They go like this. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you, and I will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open the eyes that are blind, to free the captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. Simeon recognises that Jesus is the fulfilment of this promise. 
And though it would have been unusual in his day, Simeon actually got that the consolation of Israel was not just about Israel, but about the Gentiles, the nations, the rest of the world, us. And then Simeon turns to Jesus' family and he blesses them. And he says to Mary, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. So even though Simeon recognises that Jesus is the promised Messiah, he also recognises that Jesus will cause division in the sense that how people respond to Jesus will determine their future and that Jesus will experience opposition, that he'll bring the thoughts of many to light. They will be seen for what they are. When we think about Jesus' later teaching and engagement, particularly with the Pharisees, these words start to ring true for us. And then Simeon makes this last note to Mary, a sword will pierce your own soul too. Though the fulfilment of a promise and the Messiah, Jesus' life will bring pain to Mary. Simeon is an older man. He's been waiting for this moment his whole life. But he doesn't need to see Jesus grow up to witness miracles or to see his teaching, hear his teaching. Simeon trusts God. The hope that brought him to God, the hope that has filled him with expectation, the hope that allowed him to recognise that Jesus, um, Jesus for who he was is the same hope that allows him to know that Jesus will go on to bring restoration between God and people. I want you to hold that thought for a moment because this encounter with Simeon is followed very closely by an encounter with Anna. Anna is an old woman who's been a widow for quite a long time and she spends her time in the temple worshipping and she's recognised as a prophet. She too is in the temple that morning as Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to present him and to make sacrifices. So if we look back at Luke 2, um, verses 36 to 38, to go like this. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So I imagine that while Simeon is still holding Jesus, Anna comes over and gives thanks to God for Jesus and kind of affirms what Simeon has said to Mary and Joseph. But she not only tells them, she actually then tells everyone else. I get the sense that she probably tells everyone she sees over the coming days. I just get this impression of her. It's like, oh, you'll never guess what happened yesterday. Mary and Joseph came in with Jesus. He is great. He's going to restore Israel. And, um, you know, and then she tells the next person and the next person. What we have here is um, two people who are godly. They're well-known and they're well-respected in the Jewish community. And they're speaking about the hopes that they have for Jesus. They speak about who he is and who he will become. But the hope that they have isn't wishful thinking. It isn't a possibility. It isn't, well, maybe, maybe I'll get to go overseas one day. <laughs> it's a certainty. It's an expectation. 
This hope is deeply grounded in the trust they had in God to be faithful in his promises. Their hope is also deeply grounded in hearing from and being in relationship with God. This is the kind of hope that leads to waiting well. And waiting's important. We do a lot of waiting in our lives. And while patience is important for us to be gracious as we wait well, um, hope is what really helps us get through that period of time. Knowing that God is at work for the good of the world, that God is seeking restoration of relationship, that God can bring light out of darkness and can bring joy from times of deep sorrow. This brings us hope. We've entered into this season um, at the moment where we spend time with family and friends, um, the ones who are in Australia at the moment or the ones who are on the East Coast. Sorry, Alethea. Um, we have this great joy in finding and giving gifts, in decorating, food. But at the heart of this season is remembering that there was a small child who came into the world to restore the world's relationship to God. And this brings us hope. From that restored relationship, we can spend time deeply with God. We hear from him directly. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit to guide us and we are made whole. And out of that restored relationship, God is making all things new. We are still waiting. We still live in hope of that day when the wolf will lie down with the lamb. In Romans 8, Paul writes to the followers of Jesus who are in Rome about all of creation groaning, aching for restoration. We live in hope of that restoration. We are confident that God will do this work. And God asks us to be part of that work. He invites us in. There are small things that we can do to help take steps towards that restoration. Demonstrating forgiveness and compassion are all part of that work that God is doing and part of bringing to fruition the world that we hope for. I want to leave us with a couple of questions um, to reflect on for a few minutes. I'm just going to put them on the screen. Thanks, Stephen, champion. Um, so what are the promises of God that you are trusting in? How can you take some steps to deepen your relationship with God during this Advent season? What are some of the places or who are the people that you can demonstrate forgiveness and compassion to? We'll just take this time now just to praise God for the gift of Jesus and to ask him to grow your faith, to be like the faith of Simeon and Anna. We'll just take a moment to do that now and then um, I'll come back and we'll, we'll close together. And now, Northern Community Family and Friends, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and be gracious to you. May you know the hope that is found in relationship with Jesus. And may you bring this hope to others this week. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.